you know, open up to the book of 1 Peter. It's going to be a minute before we get there, but you can open up to the book of 1 Peter, starting a new series today. For those of you guys that thought we'd be getting back into Exodus today, we'll just hold your horses. We'll get there, but not for a few weeks. It'll be, uh, it'll be sometime in August we'll get back to the book of Exodus, but we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter's, where we're going to be uh, this morning uh, looking at a few verses. And we're starting this new series, and the series is called You Are Here. You Are Here is the name of the series, and we're going to be looking at the idea of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow him wherever it is that he leads you. And so we're going to be, we're going to be asking the question, what does it look like? Where is he taking us? What does it look like in different aspects of your life? What does it look like uh, to call yourself a, a disciple of Jesus? We're going to be going through all of these, and we're going to, we're going to be trying to figure out what it means, frankly, to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Same thing, by the way, to be a Christian and to be a disciple of Jesus. Those are not two things. A Christian is not one level of following Jesus and a disciple is another level, the, the, the next tier of following Jesus. Those are the same thing. Or to say it in a, in a more churchy way, what it looks like to be sanctified. Or to say it in another way, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Or say it in another way, what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. Or to say it another way, what it means to become more like Christ. You see, when it comes to being a Christian, we call it a lot of different things, and each has its own nuance, and each explains maybe a different aspect of what it means to be a Christian or what it means to, to follow Jesus. But the bottom line is that we want to think about what it means to truly follow Jesus. And then we want to see how that fleshes itself out in different aspects of our lives, what it looks like in our personal life, what it looks like in our home, at work, at school, in our community, in our church. And what does it look like for you to call yourself a Christian and then to go home and then begin to establish your home built on that idea that you are a Christian? What does that mean? What does it look like when you go to work on Monday and you show up in the office and you are a Christian? What does it look like to build your work life, your, your atmosphere there? If you are a Christian, what does that look like? And maybe your, your job is you are at home and that's part of what you're doing on Mondays is you're caring for little kids. What does that look like for you as a mom or as a dad? What does it look like for you? So this morning, if you feel like you're in a rut, if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you're not sure what the next step is or what the next thing is that you should be doing, my hope is that over the next few weeks, this series would maybe kind of prick your heart just a little bit and, and, and maybe give you a vision for what it is to take that next step that God is calling you towards, to move you a little bit closer to Jesus, maybe give you a little bit of an extra push, a little bit more forward momentum for what it means to look like Christ. And if you're anything like me, life can begin to feel like a movie that's on repeat. We talked about this back when we studied the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the nature of life is it's repetitive. It just kind of goes in cycles. And the older that I get, the more these cycles become prominent and the, the more I start to see the same patterns in all kinds of different things, but especially in my spiritual walk. And I wake up on, 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 in the morning and I think, all right, today's going to be this kind of a day. And then by the time I get to lunch, I'm just like, today's going to be whatever day I can hang on and make it. And that's about all I'm going to be able to make it. Your spiritual life kind of drifts into this spiritual malaise where you're just kind of like, eh, we'll see what happens. 
Maybe today will be a good day. Maybe today won't be a good day. Maybe today will be built on something good. Maybe today will just be built on exhaustion. I don't know. It's all just going to kind of happen, and then you just drift like a, like a piece of wood in the ocean. You just kind of drift wherever it takes you. Too often, that is the best description of my spiritual life. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be a good guy. I'm no supposed to do generally good things that are moral and, and required of me. But if I'm honest, the desperation that we talked about last week with Peter, the brokenness, the singular focus towards God that has marked me maybe at certain points of my life in following Christ, it just kind of seems hard to find or hard to grab hold of. And now it's just waned a bit. My hope for you And frankly, for me, so I may just be preaching this series to me, if that doesn't register with any of you, my hope is that this series will will remind you of both what has been done for you and then what God is doing for you, and ultimately where God is taking you. So that's the that's what's driving us. That's that's what this series is for, and that's why we're we're jumping in here for the next few weeks. Over the past year or two, Emily and I have had the, had the opportunity to take some trips, to do some traveling that, frankly, I never thought I would be able to do uh, in, my, in my life. And we've been to Florida a few times. We've gotten to go to New York City a couple of times, got to go over my sabbatical for a weekend. And what I found is that in each case, there are certain things, there are certain absolute necessities that I need, that we need when we travel, One thing that I've determined that we absolutely need, at least if we're in a car anyway, is a dual climate control system in your car. I don't know if your car has one of those things. When we got our our forerunner, whenever we we, we bought that thing, uh, we didn't plan on that. We never had one of those. We didn't know it would change our lives if we got one. We didn't know it would probably save our marriage if we had that. It just happened to come with the, uh, with the, the car that we bought. It was used, and it was one of the options that was on there. And I'm quite certain I'll never buy another car that doesn't have one uh, because it will result in way too many uncomfortable car rides where we put it at this temperature that's too cold for her, that's too hot for me, and we're both just grouchy the entire, entire time that we're traveling because uh, we just really can't get the temperature just right. I say we're both grouchy. I'm grouchy, she's asleep. That's generally how it works whenever we're, we're traveling. But the second thing that I found that uh, is an absolute necessity, necessity when I'm traveling, again, at least in the car, is one of those rooftop luggage racks. Y'all got one of those? Anybody got one of those? Man, that is super helpful. I had no idea how helpful that was. I had no idea the level of stress that would take off of me as the, the, the Tetris guy in the back trying to figure out how to get all of our totally unnecessary luggage loaded in the back and our totally unnecessary sand toys in the back that you can buy at the beach and just leave at the beach because they cost $4. But instead, you have to pack them in the back of the forerunner and they take up about 70% of the back of the, the car. So now that eases that burden just a little bit. I can put that thing on top of the, the forerunner and I, I can... Just make that a little bit better uh, for, for life. What I've realized is that maybe the most, most tenuous moments in our marriage are those moments just before we go on vacation. When she has packed uh, three suitcases, uh, hers and the kids, and then I am now tasked with loading all of that into the car. Those moments right there bring out the worst in me and the, the things that... 
drive me nuts the most about her, all in one kind of combustible, exhausted, really tired mess. It all comes together. So with those little rooftop, that helps that doesn't eliminate that. It's still there, but it helps. It, it eases the tension just a little bit. So that was a, a Christmas present from my parents that I didn't know that I needed, but I definitely did. But the most important thing that I've found when I go somewhere, to Florida, to New York, whatever, is a map. And I'm not talking like Rand McNally. I'm not talking about the big thing that you pull out. and you're, you're, I'm talking about on my phone, GPS, full technology, I need a map. I need that to tell me what in the world is going on. I I say this all the time. I have no idea how anybody got anywhere before GPS. I have no clue. Now, I remember the days of Yahoo directions. You know what I'm talking about? You go, you punch in the directions. It prints out four pages. The first two and a half get you out of your neighborhood, right? You remember those? So I remember those. Those were helpful to a point, but it's not quite the same as having the little blue dot that you can look at on your phone that says, you are right here, and here is where you're going. I need my GPS if I go anywhere outside of basically between here and Knoxville. I need that to help me out. I've got to have that. And if you want to see me get really nervous, Watch me at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon when you've been using your GPS most of the day and you realize your battery's at 7% and you haven't been charging your phone as you're driving. Very quickly, it's like, we're probably just going to drive in the ocean because I don't, I don't know where to turn. So I'm just going to keep going until I hit sand and then I'll try to stop in time before I hit the water because I don't know what to do. It makes, me to- it makes me completely lazy. It makes me not pay attention to what's going on. I just go where Siri tells me to go, and then I'm, I'm good. So you've got to make sure that you, you charge it, or you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to go into full panic mode. But that GPS is a powerful little tool. When we're walking around in New York, you can't, you can't go anywhere without having that thing. And you can tell when it's tourists like us that are trying to walk around New York City. You've got the city blocks and everything, but uh, the, the people who are locals are walking really fast, they got earbuds in, and they will run you over if you get in their way. The tourists, like us, are looking at their phone, and they're walking about 10 steps, and they're stopping, trying to figure out, did the blue dot move in this direction, the same direction that I just walked, so that I know I'm moving in the right direction of where I think I need to go, right? That is invaluable to have. It's so valuable. And it only needs two things to do all of its magic to help you get where you need to go. It needs to know where you're at, and it needs to know where you're going. That's the two things. You plug those two things in, and it will do its work, and it will give you the most efficient route that you want. It will give it to you if you're in the city. It'll give it to you in the subway. It'll give it to you if you're walking. It'll give it to you if you are uh, driving. It'll give you all all of those things that, that will pop up. It'll even pop up and tell you how much it'll cost to take an Uber if you take this. It gives you all that stuff. It is super helpful. And all you need to know is where you are and where you're going. But you got to know where you are first. You got to know where you begin because if that, if you don't know where you're at, it's not really all that helpful to say, hey, you're going over here. Just, just, just head up this way in general. It, it, it's up in this part of town. You got to know where you're at so that you can get up to that part of town. Uh, on our way back from vacation, we made a, 
a stop at a, at a mall in Atlanta. We were heading to a Braves game, and uh, we needed to stop and kind of exchange cars with my mom and dad who were there and, and kind of do some things. Well, we stopped in a mall parking lot, and the first thing you got to do whenever you stop after you're traveling is you got to go to the bathroom. So we got out, we went to the mall, and immediately when you go in the mall, you got to find out where are the bathrooms at. So we find the, the, the map that's sitting there when you walk in the door. You find where the bathrooms are, and you're like, okay, they're right here in the food court. But it didn't have the little you are here sticker on it. So that's not helpful for me. To be able to say the bathrooms are here by the food court is great. But if I can't figure out where I'm starting from, I have no idea how to get where I'm going. Do you see how that's a problem for me? Like, I've got to figure out now what stores are around me. I've got to start doing all the extra work because that little sticker wasn't there that said, you are here. Start here, and then I will give you your path. And so I had to compute all that stuff on the fly, and it took me that much longer in a time whenever you don't have a lot of time to spare, you know? So you need to know you are here. So this morning, as we began in First Peter, my goal is to just say, we are here. This is where we start. To be able to say, this is the beginning point of this process of sanctification, of becoming like Christ. You are here. Let's identify some things right now, right at the beginning, that will help us as we go throughout this entire thing. So this book is written by the Apostle Peter. If you were here last week, we looked at Peter's story, how he had betrayed Jesus in his final hours before his death, before his crucifixion. We saw how Jesus had been resurrected, but Peter didn't feel all the joy that he should feel with that because he knew how he had betrayed Jesus. We saw how desperately Peter had thrown himself in the water, swam to Jesus, desperately needed to be with Jesus. And we saw how Jesus graciously restored him, forgave him, and gave him a mission to shepherd the sheep, to lead his people. Now we pick up here in 1 Peter and we get a glimpse of how Peter does that where Peter begins with that. And he's writing to a church that's enduring heavy persecution, that is in need of some encouragement, that's trying to figure out how to stay Christian in a culture that is set against them, that is actively pressing against them. I wonder, how would you begin that letter? If you were writing a letter to a church that was being persecuted, how would you begin that letter? How would you encourage them? Let's see how Peter does it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith of a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we'll stop there for now. These few verses here pack a punch. Peter begins this letter, and he wants the people that he's writing to, these people enduring persecution, he wants them to understand who, where, and what they are. He's starting the letter saying, guys, right here is where you begin. 
I'll talk to you about the path that you're going to walk here in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's just say this, guys. You are here. He tells them that before you can talk about suffering, before you can talk about holiness, before you can talk about any of those things that he's going to talk about, you've got to remember who you are. Our first point we have to understand this morning is that for those that are in Christ, for those that are followers of Jesus, we have begun a journey that was initiated and is now empowered by God. The whole Trinity is involved here in these first couple of verses. It says that it was planned by the Father, when it talks about his foreknowledge. It says it was carried out by the Spirit, that's sanctification, and it was in response to the cross of Jesus, and that's the sprinkling of the blood. The Trinity fully involved right from the beginning, and you put those three things together, and what you see is that it is God himself who starts the process not us. It is God himself who starts this process, not us. And that's where we begin our trip that we will be taking over the next few weeks toward holiness, knowing that it starts with the Father, it is sealed by the Son, and it is carried out by the Spirit. This is massively important because most people do not look at sanctification like that. I'm going to be using that word sanctification, and I just want to reiterate this again. That is just the process of becoming more like Christ. Becoming more and more holy as we become more and more like him. So when I say sanctification, that's what it means. It's a churchy word, but it's packed full of stuff, and it's one that you need to know. And when most people look at sanctification, this is what they mean. It begins in guilt. It is carried out by the strength of our wills, and it is a celebration of our obedience. But that is wrong. This is how most of us see it. How are we made more like Jesus? We try harder. We work at it. We get after it. We read more. We pray more. We give more. We have better quiet times. We have more quiet times. We have deeper quiet times. We read thicker books. We read better books. We go to school. We go to Bible studies. We go to do all these things. We do all those things. Then we make ourselves more like Jesus. <clears throat> and the becoming more like Jesus becomes a process in which we do it. And the further we get, it down, get down, that long, down that road, the more we celebrate our efforts to do it. That is not sanctification. That is not the Christian life. That is a lie that Satan has fed us that we have bought into to say that we are the ones that initiated it because we came to Christ and we are the ones that keep it going and empower it because we work hard enough at it. Now, is there hard work involved? Absolutely. Is there something that we do in conjunction with this? Absolutely. But this is not something that we began, and it's not something that we will complete, and it's not something that we do totally on our own. We do it empowered by the Spirit. It is not the view of Scripture that it begins with guilt, and it is carried out by the strength of our wills. The view of Scripture is that we, if we want to be more like Jesus, then we start with God. What He's done what he has planned, and what he is carrying out. So what does that mean for us that God kicked this thing off? 
What does it matter that God is the one that initiated this? That God is the one that planned this from the beginning? It tells us that God's will is less about the specific decisions that I make, and it is more about the person that I am becoming. It tells me that God's plans are moving me toward a purpose. God is initiating something that has in its end a a, a purpose for me. It's moving me in a direction. And we can start quoting all kinds of verses, and we'll get to those verses over the next few weeks. But I want to try to stay centered on this text. It tells me that God is moving me in a direction. And that direction is everything for me because it shapes me and it molds me. And it tells me that I shouldn't be surprised when my plans are more about me, when my plans are more about my kingdom, when my plans are more about my happiness than they are about his holiness, than they are about my holiness, when my plans are more about my kingdom than his, I shouldn't be surprised when I find myself stuck, frustrated, aimless, because I'm working against a plan that he's already set in motion. You see, the plan that he has set in motion when he foreknew us, when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, when he set that plan in motion, for it, it, that plan involves us dying to ourselves, killing our kingdoms, embracing his, and building his kingdom. And when we go in the opposite direction of that, we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves aimless and frustrated. So this is part of Peter's, you are here. We are sitting at the starting point of our journey that really has, one that has really been planned for a long, long time. And this journey is one that God started And it is one that God is empowering, not me. The second thing that you need to know about this journey towards Christ, this journey of sanctification, is that this journey is not quick, and this journey is not efficient. Look in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying right there is you need to understand that this journey that you're on is going to involve all kinds of trials. They will grieve you. They will be painful. But in the end, the result of that process is that it will change you. A few weeks ago, I saw a news story. I want to show you a video of this news story that I think illustrates, maybe poorly, all illustrations fall, fall apart at some point, but I think you guys should watch it. I don't know if you saw this or not, but, but Google Maps got all kinds of Colorado drivers in a big mess trying to get them to the airport. I want, I want you guys to watch this news video. Go ahead and show that, guys. Technology failed. Drivers who thought they were going to beat traffic ended up getting more than they bargained for near DIA. Good evening. I'm Shannon Ogden. And I'm Ann Trujillo. Many of the drivers tell Denver 7 they were trying to get to the airport. They were avoiding an accident, so they followed their GPS on a detour. But as Megan Lopez shows us, that detour turned into disaster. 
So this is that detour route that Connie and others were put on, and it looked pretty promising at the beginning. You can actually see DIA in the distance, so they were definitely heading the right direction. But then they hit this patch of road where the pavement literally ends, the dirt begins, and that's where the problem started. Out here on 64th Avenue in Aurora, there's more birds and bullet holes than people on a road that is certainly less traveled until Sunday. Take exit 286 onto Tower Road. A car crash on Pena Boulevard caused some GPS apps like Google Maps to detour drivers onto 64th. Connie Monsies was one of them. Because it was supposed to be half the time. And her husband was already waiting at the airport. But then the route got weird. And it spit us out onto a dirt road. But Connie and about 100 other cars kept going. My thought was, well, all these other cars are in front of me, so it must be okay. So I just continued. However, with the wet weather over the weekend, that road got muddy and slick. And that's when I thought, oh, this was a bad decision. Between the mud and two deep ditches, cars started getting stuck. Why did Google send us out there to begin with? It, it just didn't make any sense. There was no turning back once you were there. Connie, by the way, is related to our traffic expert, Jason Luber. <laughs> no, I look. My wife gets stuck in traffic jams, too. He says this reliance on technology to get around town can cause headaches. It's a failure of people not knowing how to read a map. People relying and, and blindly following their technology. But at the end of the day... You're driving. Google Maps isn't driving. Google Maps isn't perfect. You need to know where you're going. Out along 64th today, we did spot a road close sign lying on its side. But this road doesn't belong to either Denver or Aurora. It's a private road, and we're still trying to figure out whether it's open to the public. As for Connie... I tore up the inside passenger well for my tire. Her car made it out better than most. Oh, you can tell I bottomed out on the back end, collected a lot of dirt and grass. But from now on, she's going to leave this road back to the birds and bullet holes. Yes, I should have stayed on Pena. <laughs> Megan Lopez, Denver 7. Wait, that's a tough lesson. So that news story is a pretty good illustration of what sanctification looks like for us. Google rerouted them, took them on a, a road that most people don't want to go on. It looked great to start with. I mean, how, how, how many of you ha came to, to Christ, you began your walk with Christ, and, and, and you had this idea of what it would look like to follow Christ, and it was paved roads wide open, and you could even see the destination in the distance. You could see it, and you're like, that's where I'm going. All I got to do, I, I'm going to be just like this person that led me to Christ that is such a good person, a holy person. I'm going to be like this person that I revere. I'm going to be like my Sunday school teacher. I'm going to be like my mom or my dad. And, and, and somebody that I, I love and I know loves Jesus, all I got to do is read my Bible and pray just like them. And right there is where I'm going. It's right there. And then all of a sudden you find yourself on a dirt road where it's rained a lot. The road closed signs laying on the side. It's got bullet holes in it. And you're trying to figure out what happened here. This is not where the paved roads go. Where, where, did the, where did the easy pathway toward my destination, where, where did it go? I, I don't understand. What, why am I sitting in mud, bottomed out, a flat tire, a broken axle, and I'm going nowhere? Why is this the way that I'm 
going, why did you take me here, Google Maps? Why did you take me here, Jesus? Why did you drag me out here into this place? Why did you do this? There's over a hundred cars out there. Why would this be the case? It's because our sanctification isn't quite like the best GPS system. You see, the job of Google Maps or, or Apple Maps or any of these ways, the job of all of these things is to get you from point A to point B in the most efficient, the quickest, the easiest way. That is never Jesus' plan for you. Your plan is never to get from point A to point B in the easiest way possible, to get from not knowing Jesus, committing your life to him, and then to holiness in a straight line. It doesn't work that way. It's never meant to work that way. Because your reliance is not on a pre-made plan. Your reliance is on Jesus who is walking with you every step of the way. So you may not have this this plan that you've printed out with, with Yahoo Maps that tells you everywhere to go. And if you just follow these steps, all will be well. But you have something much better. You've got Jesus right next to you that says, I know it looks scary to go down that road. I know that sign's got bullet holes in it. I know this looks bad for you. I know you think you're probably going to lose your car if you go down that road, and you, you probably will. But I'm right here with you. And I promise you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm along for the ride with you. That is a much better promise than a GPS that just says, recalculating. And tries to get you to a different route. I'll take the route with Jesus there by my side every time. And when we go along that route, what we'll see is that we can trust the Holy Spirit. That we can trust that he knows what he's doing. And that he cares about us while he's doing it. Scripture repeatedly assures us that those things are true. And that God is with us in every step. And the final thing that I want us to see this morning out of a myriad of others that we could talk about is that the final destination is holiness. It's holiness. Look in verse 14. Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So here Peter puts in the second part that's needed for the GPS to start to work. He starts with the gospel. He starts with the gospel, the the plan that, that God set into place, that was carried out by the Son, that was sealed by the Spirit. That's where you are in Christ. And then he says, and this is where you're going. And the end goal is holiness. Now remember who's writing this. This is Peter. Denied Jesus Peter. And then he remembers these words from the Old Testament that says, Be holy as I am holy. If you listen and you read enough, you will find plenty of people that would tell you holiness is impossible. So we shouldn't even try. That sinners can never be transformed to be holy. But Peter doesn't shy away from his call. He says, be holy. 
to be like Jesus. Now, if you keep reading and you read Paul and you read Peter, what you'll see is that they will tell you, you're not going to get there in this life. But they never shy away from saying that you should. And they never shy away from saying that God is going to take you there. And what Paul tells us is that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the final day of Christ Jesus. So will we get to holiness in this life? No, we won't. But that doesn't stop Peter from saying, be holy. Because that's the end goal. That's where we're going. And over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at what this means in different aspects of our lives. How this command to be holy plays out in every sphere of our life. But for now, he says, don't be conformed by the passions that shaped you when you were ignorant. When you didn't know better. When you didn't know Jesus. Put those to death. As we've said here many times, to quote John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. If you know Jesus, you know what he's called you to. He's called you to kill sin, to die to those old passions, to die to that old kingdom that you've been building, to die to this thing that you've been working towards about your own name, your own fame, your own renown, and to start building his. That's the framework for pursuing holiness. To respond in obedience while killing your old passions. To become someone with a new set of passions. Not one for our kingdoms, but his. Not one with a passion for sin, but one with a passion for holiness. And the beauty of all of of this is that God commands it. But it is also God that enables it. It is God that sustains it, and it is God that produces this fruit in us, not us. So I can't stand up here and tell you, do these six things now. But I can stand up here and tell you, know who you are in Christ. That you have been justified, made right with Christ. And now because of the cross, you can be sanctified as the Spirit works in you. You leave behind one passion to pursue another. You need to understand it all comes back to the cross. I want to be clear here. Our beginning point is not the gospel and then we move on to the gospel towards holiness. It is that gospel that enables us to move towards holiness. And so this is where the illustration falls apart here. We don't move from point A to point B It is the starting point that goes with us all along the journey, the gospel of Jesus. And that's what Christianity is, the gospel, front to back, beginning to end, that God would justify us, sanctify us, and eventually glorify us. It's all about God working and producing that fruit that he calls us to. This morning... If you call yourself a Christian, that's where we start, and that's where we're going. But this morning, if you're in here this morning, and you're not a follower of Christ, you haven't committed your life to Christ, you, you don't, you're not at this starting point yet. And Peter is still calling to you the same words, be holy as God is holy. 
And I don't care what it is that you do, how good you think you are, how hard you try, how much you pursue, how much you give, how much you care for others, how wonderful a person you think you are, how good of a guy somebody tells you you are. Apart from Christ, you cannot make that pursuit. You will get nowhere. But the gospel tells us that because of Christ, we can lay down all those efforts and we can say, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus will welcome us home. This is where we begin. This is the path towards Christ and to becoming more like him. And I hope over the next few weeks we'll walk this together and that maybe we'll begin even more week by week to look more and more like him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning for salvation. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the gospel. A gospel that saves us and that is saving us. A gospel that has transformed us and is transforming us. Father, I pray that we would begin to ask the question, maybe for the first time for some, for others, maybe for the first time in a long time. Not just how do we make it through the day, but how do we look more like you as we go throughout that day? How can we know you more? And how can we reflect that more? Father, I pray that you will lead us. And that wherever you lead us, we will go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.